Hebrews chapter 1 is on page um, 1201 of the Red Church Bibles. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to who which the angels did not ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of these angels, he says, he makes his angels winds by his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear, they will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you will remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Well, good evening, everyone. Um, if... Uh, you, like me, have had a big Sunday lunch and you feel you might drop off during the sermon. There's some little sheets that are on the tables, like the middle tables and the back. If you want like something to underline or highlight, please do grab um, a sheet and some pens. But we're going to look in our, our passage this evening that Jasmine's just read for us. Um, and it's a, a really exciting, exciting passage this evening. So... Um, yeah, let's get into our title uh, on the board is The Majestic Christ. Uh, it's a, um, yeah, it's a, I'm just really excited about this. It's brilliant. So um, I'm sure you've all been to parties or family events where you've been talking to that relative, that uncle or auntie where, you know, the conversation's just boring. They're talking about their job or whatever. You're looking over their shoulder, trying to find your brother or sister to come and rescue you, trying to give eyes to your wife so you can come and save you from the conversation. We've all had those moments, those people we've been talking to, we just want to get out. And the guy who's writing Hebrews is worried that his mates have started treating Jesus like a dull bloke they've met at a party. And we get um, a hint of his concern in the following chapter. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard. The truth about Jesus has grown a bit old, like the repeats on television, Their hunger to hear what God has said is gone. Further on in Hebrews, we're told that back in the day, even death threats couldn't stop them getting together to read God's words. But that's not a priority anymore. Their hunger to hear what God has said is gone. 
Well, how do we see that in ourselves this evening? Well, perhaps we need to be really honest with ourselves. I guess just going to church to see the people and not listen to God's words. Small groups built around catching up on each other's news and not getting our noses stuck into the Bible. Quiet times where I don't really wrestle with it, trying to understand the original meaning. I just run my eyes over it so that my conscience doesn't bother me anymore. Or quiet times just centered around prayer or daydreaming or even the death of my quiet times altogether. By the time I've said all that, I'm, I'm feeling pretty guilty. That's me, you know. I come to the Bible sometimes with the reluctance of a slave and leave it with the relief of a thief. And most time, you know, sometimes you just can't be bothered. We often set new resolutions to change and read our Bibles more. But, you know, we've done that before and we know that it doesn't last beyond Friday. But how can I change? How can we change? The answer is by meditating on passages like this in Hebrews. So the writer wants his mates to change. So he sets out to give them such a big picture of Jesus that we really want to hear him and we dare not ignore him. And he does it by comparing Jesus to angels, which at first seems a little bit odd. But what he's doing is giving his readers a perspective on who Jesus is. I once saw this poster of this this wave. And it, was, it was a beautiful, beautiful wave. And the first time you look at it, you go, Ah, it's a nice wave. And then you look a bit closer and you see a surfer. And he's this small, he's so tiny. You see a bloke on a surfboard and you think, massive wave, what an absolute nutter. Our writer uses angels like that to get some perspective on Jesus. You see, in the Bible, angels aren't pretty flying fairies in white dresses. They're intense servants of God. They're warriors. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 19, in verse 35, one angel kills 185,000 soldiers in one night. They're impressive. People who meet them often think they are God and fall down and worship. They move as fast as lightning and they're real. They're a big deal. So our writer uses them to get some perspective on Jesus. No believer can cope with adversity unless Christ fills their horizon sharpens their priorities and dominates their experience. And that's what, Christ, that's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to see about Christ. He wants to see two things. First of all, the majestic Christ is God's son. And secondly, the majestic Christ is superior to angels. So let's jump to the, the first point. Um, the majestic Christ in, um, inherits a more superior name. Sorry, that's completely wrong. The first point should come up on the board, hopefully. Yeah, okay. A more superior name. We live in a society that's focused on communication. We have devices in our pockets where I can dial a number and call anyone I want, anywhere in the world, at any time. We've got message threads, emails, FaceTime, Instagram, Snapchat, phone calls. We're focused on communication. And this is how the world operates, communicating with each other to share knowledge, arrange plans, discover news. We see the importance of communication when we see the breakdown of relationships and how broken communication is often a cause. So when we become inward focused, we don't talk to others. It's most often because um, communication, it's most often when relationships break down. And in the opening lines of this message to the Hebrews, we see this great fact laid out for us. Let's read verses 1 to 4 again, get it fresh in our minds. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. God has spoken to man through his word, the Bible, through his son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God has closed the greatest communication gap that ever existed between a holy, almighty God and sinful humans. But some Christians who this letter was written to had, had to started to compromise their faith because they had started to drift from the fact that Jesus is God. And we see that today. Even in Christianity, we see many church leaders. They say, Jesus is just a teacher, just a prophet. But the Bible tells us here that we are to worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is what sets our faith apart. No other religion worships Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is who we worship this evening. So how should we think about Jesus' relationship to angels? Well, verse 4 answers that really well for us with a comparison. It says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. What is that? What, what is the name that's mentioned here? Well, when Christ died and made purification for sins and triumphed over death and Satan, he was enthroned as king and seated at the right hand of God. We've seen that in this passage. And when a king was enthroned in the Old Testament, there was an acclamation that now he was taking up his title, taking up his inheritance that had been his since his birth. And one of the ways this acclamation was given was with the words spoken by God, usually through a prophet, I will be his father and he will be my son, which the writer of Hebrews quotes in verse 5. And the point of this verse is to tell us that the name, tell us what name is so superior to angels. It's the name Son. So verse 4 says that Christ has inherited a more excellent name, a more superior name. Then verse 5 says, for to what angel did God ever say, you are my son? So the superior name is Son of God. He has inherited a name, a more superior name, that the angels haven't. Verse 5, he said he, verse 5 says that God never said such a thing to an angel. No angel sits at God's right hand as a son of God in power. No angel is worthy to be called son. But Jesus Christ inherits the name that he is worthy of, Son of God. No believer can cope with adversity unless Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fills their horizons, sharpens their priorities, and dominates their experience. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, let's move on. The majestic Christ is superior to angels, and this is the bulk of our passage this evening. Verses 5 to 14, the writer lays out a series of quotes from the Old Testament, and the writer affirms the truth that the Old Testament is a Christ-centered book. So much of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ, the prophecies of a promised Messiah. The writer of Hebrews is so confident in the Old Testament's revelation of Christ that he goes on to quote these passages in which the superiority of Christ is proclaimed. These new Jewish Christians, the readers of this letter, would have been living under pressure from their tight-knit community to deny that Jesus was the Messiah they're waiting for. Or the far more tempting compromise to fall back to Judaism and deny the divinity of Jesus. But throughout this section, we are shown how Jesus is given this superior name. He is the Son of God. 
No angel has received that name. And verse 6 enhances the picture. Let's, let's look at it. It says, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The angels are messengers, but Jesus is the son. Angels are worshippers, but he is the one they worship. He is the one to be worshipped, a name superior to theirs. He is so much greater than the angels because they are the ones who are worshipping him. It's the angels' task to exalt the Son, to praise his name. Angels worship Christ because they recognize the incomparability of themselves to Jesus. They're totally different. We see in verse 7, the, the writer quotes Psalm 104, where God's messengers and servants are described as winds and flames of God's purposes. The writer of Hebrews is drawing all together these different strands of the Old Testament to show the Hebrew people they need a Christ-centered worldview. Jesus is not just another angel. Look at the angels. They're fleeting winds. They're flames compared to the eternal, everlasting Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the messages don't fall back into the trap of Judaism or don't even worship angels because look at Jesus. Look at who he is. Look how much better he is than angels. And we read on through verse 8. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of, your, of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. The writer of Hebrews has shown us so much about Jesus already. He is God. He is called Son by the Father. He is worshipped by angels. And here we see this quote from Psalm 45, that he is the king that will rule forever. And we see that so clearly. The opening line of verse 8, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. It doesn't get clearer than that. He is the king ruling in power from the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is no mere angel. This is Jesus Christ, the king. He is so much greater than angels, worthy of all our praise and our worship. We see verses 10 through 12. Jesus is not just an object of creation like the angels, but he is the creator. He is the creator God. And as we come to the last verse of this chapter, we see the most amazing verse. The writer circles back through his um, points through what he says in verse 3. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he sits down, heir of all things, at the right hand of the Father. On the throne that will last forever, we've seen verse 8. The writer quotes Psalm 110, verse 13. Sorry, the writer quotes Psalm 110 in verse 13 of Hebrews. Sit at my right hand until I make enemies a footstool for your feet. To which of the angels did God ever say that, says the writer of Hebrews. No angel was asked to sit at the right hand of the Father, that royal seat, that everlasting throne. No angel has been spoken to like this because no angel deserves such exaltation. The angels are among the multitude of created beings that recognize Christ's revelation, his finished work, his eternal kingship, his matchless achievement. We read in the book of Revelation, John has, got a, has a revelation from God of the heavens worship, and he says this, Then I looked, looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. No angel is worthy to receive that praise. They're the ones praising Jesus. He is so much more superior than angels. And as we look forward to Easter time and to the cross, we see the true power of Jesus, how he is so superior to angels. Only Jesus could bear the weight of our sin on the cross. Look at Jesus. He is so glorious. Jesus is not an angel. He's worshipped by angels. Jesus is not an angel. He is God. Jesus is not an angel. He is the creator. Jesus is not an angel. He is enthroned in heaven, on the throne that will last forever and ever. By that saving death and triumphant resurrection, he establishes his kingdom. He's victorious over death and reigns superior as king. He is so much more superior. He has inherited a more superior name. He is God's. He is to be worshipped. So don't ignore him. And we'll see more about that next week. But look at Jesus. Look at how much better than the angels he is. Look at all he has done. From creation to the cross. Loving you before you were made. Dying on that cross for you. The glorious mighty king of the universe stretched out his arms on the cross. And he bridged that gap that existed between us and God because of our sin. And he invites you into a relationship with him. He's not just that boring guy at the party you feel you have to talk to. Or he's not just the repeat of the TV show. He's the most important thing that could possibly be in your life. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to have a bigger picture of Jesus. Jesus is that wave. And the angel is the tiny little surfer. Jesus is massive. So look at Jesus. He deserves everything we have. If you're not giving all you have to him right now, think about that. Are we coming to our Bibles reluctantly? Are we praying because we feel we have to? Are we just skimming through the daily reading? Jesus loves you. King Jesus loves you and calls you into relationship with him. So why shouldn't you give everything to him? He gave everything for you. Why shouldn't you give everything to him? As believers, we can cope with adversity because our majestic King Jesus fills our horizons, shapes our priorities, and dominates our experience. So let Christ shape your life. Make Christ the center of your life once more. Get a bigger picture of Jesus. Meditate, read these words. See how big and majestic and glorious and powerful King Jesus is. And if this is the first time you're hearing this and you want to know more about this Jesus, then please come and chat to myself or to someone across your table and we'll happily chat that through with you. But we're going to have a time of discussion around our tables now. And if you're visiting here and you you don't have to say anything, you you can say loads, you can say nothing at all. But we're just going to have a time to discuss and chat through the things uh, we've heard. So there's going to be some questions going to come up on the board and we're going to have a time of discussion now.